Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. If you like heroes, you are going to love Rob Has a Podcast on Podcast One. Join the biggest reality TV podcast around as Survivor's Rob Sister Nino covers the current season of Celebrity Big Brother and more. Download Rob Has a Podcast every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let's take a quick break. You know what's one of my favorite things to do post-dancing rehearsal? Not going to lie, it's putting on some sweatpants immediately and having a drink. You all know I love a glass of wine or two, but I also like to switch it up. So lately, Jason and I have been making a little cocktail at night using Rum Haven. Rum Haven believes Mother Nature did things right, so it's crafted using real coconut water and not using artificial preservatives or flavorings. It is so incredibly refreshing. I mentioned I like to add it to a cocktail, but it's also actually great over ice with a splash of club soda. It tastes like I'm on vacation, sitting on an island somewhere far, far away which is without a doubt a great feeling, especially during these crazy times. So make sure to follow at Rum Haven on Instagram because they post all types of these seasonal recipes. They do giveaways and tips. Plus, when you go to discover.rumhaven.com, you can find their latest blogs, quizzes, and any promotions they have going on. On one of their latest blog posts, they actually have some tips about planning your virtual watch party, which is pretty perfect since everyone's favorite reality shows back on Tuesdays. Be sure to have a little virtual drink with me, sip some rum haven, maybe even while you're listening to the pod. Let me know what you think. Celebrate more for less at HomeSense. More yummy, the best cookware by far. And three cheers for bar. More I love it gifts from chocolate to spa to ooh la la. HomeSense, cheer is here. But who will be the Batman? We've got a Super Bowl trailer roundup for you. And we're going to hear about a certain Captain Marvel set visit from Perry Nemiroff. That's all today on Collider Heroes. Can you believe it's been like a week since the Bat News broke? I've been waiting all week to come back to talk about it here. It like broke Wednesday it's, afternoon. It's like they did it to us specifically. They're like, we're going to give you a week to get used to this before Just we talk about it. settle into Bat concepts. Friggin', it's, it's real. It's happening. And we are back on Collider Heroes for episode 291. I'm Amy Dallin. I'm Coy John Rowe. And please welcome Collider's own Perry Nemiroff. Welcome it's to the It's my desk. very first Heroes episode. This That's is crazy. crazy. That's unbelievable. I didn't realize it until I started to prep some of the show notes, and I always add a little file into my Collider show notes folder, and there was nothing under Heroes. 
We're honored. We're honored. I'm, I'm honored. Thank you guys yeah. for having me today. Yeah, we're, we're so excited to have you. And uh, on, you know, a nice, slow news week. Oh, yeah, nothing's happening. <laughs> Nothing stacks on stacks on Batfleck cowls. So we heard last week that DC, uh, th- that DC has release dates set for the summer of 2021. And those release dates contained a lot of bonus information about what's going on. Um, the big one, of course, being... Batman has a date. The Batman has a date. It's coming out in summer 2021, and it will not star Ben Affleck. So to me, that's the bad news. The good news is everything else, because Matt Reeves, detective story, lots of rogues. It sounds like everything we want out of a Batman movie. So to me, the Batman, minus us losing Ben Affleck, is great. I'm very excited. I'm a big Batfleck guy, so I'm personally very bummed. But I understand if you're going to build a trilogy, you need to start with a new team, a new cast, a new everything else. But the idea that one of our best Batman ever on screen never got a solo movie is going to haunt me. I honestly, and I do, I I feel that same way, and I I kind of want to take a moment, like, I know it's been a week and we've been expecting this for a really long time, but, like, I do want to take a moment. If your heart is broken right now, I totally get it. We all wanted a Ben Affleck Batman movie, and the idea of him making a Batman movie was really exciting. Um, And I enjoyed him in the parts, although y'all know I have my issues with, like, the versions of Batman he got to play and the times that we saw him. So on that level, it's it's real sad. But I'm very excited that Matt Reeves is going to get to do his own thing. Mm -hmm. I'm with you guys, too. I'm pretty bummed because I was always a big fan of his version of Batman, and I did want to see him have his own movie above all else. But... I'm almost relieved that this is happening just because we've been talking about it and it's been rumored for so (laughs) long. And, you know, even when it's a hard thing to digest like this, it's one thing to have a clear statement and have it done versus just that vicious rumor mill that continues to churn and continues to pit people against each other. Good thing this announcement was made. Now we can move on and then we could get up uh, all caught up in another, you know, back and forth when it comes (laughs) to picking who is going to fill his shoes at this point. But This is a major step forward. We have a release date. Let Matt Reeves do his thing with someone that he is part of the casting process for. So I think it's going to benefit the movie overall. Okay, who's your pick? Uh, you know, my, I got a top three because okay. I got I to be realistic yeah, about yeah, yeah. it. Uh, I love Oscar Isaac. Mm. I got to say my my bold pick is Robert Pattinson. I really <laughs> now I'm going to go ahead and defend that while okay. we're on Robert Pattinson. <laughs> Oscar Isaac needs no defending. Robert Pattinson, bolder choice. Robert Pattinson outshone Guy Pierce in the Rover. Robert Pattinson is incredible in good time. Robert Pattinson is not Twilight. Robert Pattinson made a hundred million dollars off Twilight. So he's got Bruce Wayne money, but he's not Twilight. So to me, he is smug face, smarmy, definitely Bruce Wayne, but also very dark, very mysterious, very Bruce Wayne. I think he can play both, and we need someone that can be both, and I really think he surprises people when you look at him outside of the sparkles. I think he's incredible. And then I forgot my three because I was so ranty about Robert Pattinson. <laughs> no, I'll come back to it. That's key. Uh, uh, I'm also on board for Oscar Isaac, uh, just because I would watch him headline nearly anything. Like I don't think you're alone on that. <laughs> yeah, um, and and he is like he's getting to that. You can bank on a name point. Like my my outside not a name pick. I'm I would be curious to see maybe uh, what's his face Darren Chris. Um, just picking up a bunch of awards for assassination of Gianni Versace uh, mm-hmm. and has like internet level following. I don't know if he's like yet a name you could build a movie on, but he's got a he's got a bit of smolder. Okay, I'm obviously on board with Oscar Isaac. 
I kind of like the idea of them going with a complete unknown, though. I mm. feel like it's, one, a major opportunity for an up-and-coming star, and use that also as an opportunity to then surround them by a well-known ensemble. I think yes. that could be an interesting scenario, but obviously I can't just name-drop someone, because hopefully it's someone that we don't know whatsoever right now, and this could be like a star-making vehicle. My mind immediately goes to someone like a John Boyega, and I know he had attacked the block before, but Star Wars was a game changer for him and now all of a sudden we have this incredibly talented actor who could use the Star Wars fame to make all of these other movies where you know Detroit comes to mind he's fantastic in that movie so let another young star use this as an opportunity to do a similar thing I think that's a beautiful idea especially since we've seen with Gal Gadot and Jason Momoa that even if you aren't already a everyone will show it like you don't have to be a Tom Cruise level name for these movies to work you're playing Batman Mm -hmm. we're gonna show up you can surround them with seasoned people is there any I'm curious because you just went to Sundance. Yes. Is there anybody so, that you were like spotted? It's really funny because you kind of read my mind, but really quickly with the whole Batman yeah, and yeah, yeah. the no name thing. So you don't need a name actor to sell a Batman movie. And I actually think it might take away from it just a little bit if we're going into the new Batman movie being like, oh, so and so A list or as Batman. No, let's just get a Batman movie. Let's really dig into this detective angle that he's been <sighs> pitching so hard because that's the interesting thing less so than saying as much as I, like I'm actually behind you with the Robert Pattinson thing but then all of a sudden <laughs> the whole idea becomes this is Robertson, Robert Pattinson as Batman movie Robert and Pattinson just- it does I'm telling have a, you, a meta copyright value. that just in case. <laughs> it does have a meta value, which is the idea of like a Bruce Wayne who's easy to dismiss or underestimate. You get some interesting, like off the screen narrative resonance there if you pick someone that people are like, I can't believe that guy's a badass. And it's like, well, I guess it's working. Yeah, it's um, fair point. The Bruce Wayne pose is working for you. Okay, so the Sundance thing. The first name that came to mind from Sundance movies and also a whole bunch of movies he had done before, Lucas Hedges. Ooh. So I'm telling you, go through Lucas Hedges' filmography, and he has certain roles that I don't think speak Batman whatsoever, and just Boy Erase comes to mind because it was a really hot movie through award season. I think that movie should have gotten more nominations than it did, but oh well. Then... Pair that with a movie like his small role in mid-90s. And right there between those two, you could see the range that he can play. I also saw him in Honey Boy, the Shia LaBeouf semi-autobiographical movie. And another thing that he is absolutely phenomenal in, but even though I can't necessarily pinpoint a Lucas Hedges performance and say, right there, that's, that is the sure sign that he would make a good Batman Bruce Wayne, I think he has shown more than enough range to convince me that he can do anything. That's a fabulous recommendation. He's tortured. He's he's very captivating. I yeah, that's that's a fascinating pick. I like Lucas Hedges a lot. I have one more question. Is there anything in the news right now to suggest that this young Batman has to connect to Ben Affleck's Batman? Is that locked and confirmed? I think it gets to be its own thing. It's a, I think it's as far from Batman because as, I know yeah. the interconnectivity is something that they're moving away from. So if he doesn't have to look at all like a young Ben Affleck, another Sundance star that really is at the top of my mind right now is Kelvin Harrison Jr. Ooh. Have you ever seen him? No. So at Sundance he had a movie called Loose and then prior to that I had first seen him in A24's It Comes at Night mm-hmm. and I know that movie got a mixed response I happen to love it but I think whether you liked it or not his performance in that is freaking undeniable and when you see what he does in Loose in terms of 
His ca- so what happens to his character is he grew up in a war-torn region of Africa and he's adopted by a white family and that white family raises him and he basically becomes a symbol of being the perfect student and just the perfection of this whole scenario working out in the best way imaginable. He winds up in a little bit of a conflict with one of his teachers played by Octavia Spencer and you get to see all these different sides of him where he's like a stand-up gentleman and he's just oozing everything that everybody around him expects but he mm. has these darker moments too where you start to think and and you start to judge his intentions a little and that's the beauty of loose the movie overall but in that movie in particular added on top of what he did in it comes at night i think he is a star i'm telling you kelvin harrison jr whether he plays someone like a batman or not watch out for him he's gonna do big things that's a great tip uh, and he's 24. I like how young he is. That's interesting to me. Uh, my third one I remembered was Jack O'Connell, uh, who was Good a... Call. I think Jack O'Connell is a very incredible up-and-coming actor. He was an Unbroken, probably his biggest thing, but I love him from start-up. I think he's going to be like the next wave Tom Hardy. I think he's very intense. I think his physicality is good for Batman. I think he's got a very, very captivating darkness that I think is so important for the Bruce Wayne side and the Batman side. Mm-hmm. So I want to see, if you're going to play detective, if you're going to play nuance, you're going to play small, I want an actor, an actor that can play as nuanced as that's required to be. So Jack O'Connell. So the rumors that we're hearing about the movie so far, uh, we, we know that the script came in, what, 160 pages? Yes. Of the, the first version. Ooh, um, they're, but they're working on it. Uh, we have heard, uh, I know you put down in the rundown initially, some folks are lobbying for the Bruce Wayne part. I think, I yes, yes, we'll get to that. Well, let's get to it. Let's, so I think it's really interesting that we're living in an age where you can actually publicly talk about like these roles you want, and it's not like a faux pas. People are actively trying to say they want to be Bruce Wayne. I think it's really interesting. The Michael B. Jordan rumor from Superman is now coming through to Batman, which I think is really interesting. Mm. Uh, Jack O'Connell, I, I don't think he's made a public statement, but I hear rumors that he's lobbying for it. There are actual like actors saying, I want to be Batman. Any names that you guys saw that caught I your mean, eye? I mean, are you just trying to avoid the fact that you absolutely put Nick Jonas in the rundown? <laughs> I think it's interesting. Now, Nick Jonas. Now, Nick Jonas. I personally don't see. I think that it's an interesting thing that Nick Jonas is on Kingdom and these fighting shows, and he's trying to be seen as a, you know that kind of actor. So it makes sense from a from a professional standpoint. I personally don't see the Nick Jonas, but I did put Nick Jonas in the Speaking running. of Kingdom, Jonathan Tucker. Jonathan Tucker is everyone. Mm. Jonathan Tucker. Why not? Incredible. I, I think mean, he'd make a great Batman. I love John Tucker. Yeah. He could be anyone. Yes, John Tucker is Batman. Thank you. <laughs> the truth is, though, like I, I'm never going to be mad at someone being like, I would like to play Batman because, of course, like shoot your shot. Yeah. Like, would you like to be, be Batman? Good I call. feel like maybe it was the uncool thing to do. It's like the kid who always raises his or her hand in <laughs> yeah. class. But I mean, nowadays, when you can actually make a difference with speaking out on social media or something along those lines, it's it's kind of encouraging. One, it gives everybody out there the you can do it kind of vibe. But also, I don't know, it shows a sign of enthusiasm. And when it comes to commitment your life to a role like a Batman. Yeah. I think if you don't have that kind of drive and enthusiasm from day one, maybe you should reconsider the opportunity. Yeah. Nick Jonas put it out there. I just, I'd forgotten about it. He put it out there like Wednesday. He put yeah. it out there the moment the thing was. He was like, by the way, and I, I really, I do respect <laughs> and that. He like, might have just been cutely being like, I'm in, but yeah. like, it, you know, shout out, hats off to you, Nick Jonas. That can make a real difference. I mean, every executive out there is probably on social media, and sometimes all you need is just someone to say that one thing to all of a sudden say, eh, maybe we should put 
on the short Or list. even if they're like, I don't know about Batman, but Nick Jonas says Nightwing. Exactly. Nick Jonas says Tim you Drake. I honestly, Jonathan Tucker's not my number one. I can't pick <laughs> like I can picture him in the suit. I can picture him from the Black Donnellys as a street kid growing up without parents. I can picture him training. He's got the physicality. He's got the intensity. He's got the slightly off. Jonathan Tucker, please okay. play Batman. So an unexpected number one coming out of our Batman discussions. <laughs> um, those discussions are happening in real offices all over the city. A lot of great discussions have been happening online about what it would mean to cast different people, which different vibes we want for Batman. This is the fun part. The wondering whether Ben Affleck is done was not the fun part because that was just sad because you want everyone to be happy and do work that they're thrilled with and have opportunities. This is the fun part. Um, so let us know, Warner Brothers, when we have real news on that. But we also got a piece of news, long-awaited confirmation that there will be another Suicide Squad movie and it will be not only written but definitively directed by James Gunn. It's also coming out on summer of 2021, so like, just plan to spend that summer in the theaters. What do we think of this actually happening? He says it's mostly going to be a reboot, mostly new cast. Is a reboot, mostly new cast, let me be more specific. Uh, the Suicide Squad. Uh, and the Batman. The Batman. Definite articles. The year of definite <laughs> articles. Um, so, yeah, that's happening. What do you want to happen from that? Yes. <laughs> I love everything about this. I know, uh, you know, some folks out there took both sides of the divide regarding the James Gunn situation. I am one who thinks he was unfairly removed from the Guardians movie, from Disney, from Marvel, and... It's very unfortunate given how the content in Guardians of the Galaxy kind of mirrors what he's going through in terms of reassessing who you were and changing and growing to love other people. And the fact that they didn't let him do that in real life for tweets that were tweeted so long ago. But before we get back into all of that nonsense, (laughs) I mean, really, actually kind of paves the way to what I was thinking next. It's it, it feels a little bit like he's sticking it to Marvel. And I think they kind of deserve it. And. It's not even a bad thing because it just so happens that Suicide Squad so well suits his sensibilities. This is a perfect pairing. And I really do love the leap that they're taking with how whatever the terminology they were using in terms of like a reboot, a soft reboot, soft relaunch, whatever it is. This is a an insanely creative guy. Let him take this ca- these characters, let him take this group and run with it because the style will be through the roof and... Guardians of the Galaxy is still my favorite MCU movie. I don't necessarily want to see that overshadowed, but at the same time, I'm kind of rooting for him to make an incredible Suicide Squad movie to further show that what happened was wrong and it shouldn't happen to any other filmmaker or any other person out there for that matter. Everyone should always have the opportunity to kind of take a step up and and change. And that was denied. And here, his star power is not going away, clearly. He's super (laughs) talented and he deserves this opportunity. It is funny because he was technically never in director jail, but it is hilarious that the plot of Suicide squad is breaking out of jail by getting a weird mission that you need to take to prove yourself. Uh, what are your thoughts, Coy? Suicide Squad is the perfect opportunity for him to have a tentpole redemption film, and I think it's also the perfect opportunity for DC to have a shiny star of a movie. I think it's a really great summer for them now with this and the Batman. Matt Reeves 
Apes trilogy is perfect, and James Gunn's first Guardian is perfect. So these two movies coming out in one summer, DC's going to swing for the fences and nail it, I think. So the, the combination of those things, and I also think when they say soft reboot, I think we keep Amanda Waller and she recruits a new team. I think Viola Davis is safe. <laughs> I think that's going to be the only thing that connects the you two. You can't mess up that cast. Yeah, like I, Viola like... Davis is Amanda Waller. So you keep Viola Davis as Amanda Waller, and you go, well, that team didn't work out. Let me get a new team, and whoever you can James now Gunn say wants. Harley Quinn's off doing some other things right now, totally but works. she can come back in the future when we make another one. Hey, and if you want to keep Will Smith as Deadshot, you do. You've had total power, and I think that's great because now James Gunn gets to have his cake and eat it too, and that he's not tied to the old movie. He can keep the cast members he wants to keep. He gets to assemble his home team, which worked out really well for us with Guardians because Guardians wasn't a comic property that existed in the form the movie came out in. There is not that Guardians team. It's to close that. to the 2008, but like, yeah. It, it's almost the Abnet run, but it's not like a direct linear. That story wasn't told in the way it was told in the right, movie. Right. So th- he gets to do this again with Suicide Squad, and then he can assemble a team of his favorite misfits, and we all get the benefits. So I think it's perfect. I think it's a match made in heaven. Give me this movie. He's a deep nerd. It's a natural fit for him. I The one thing that gives me pause about it is that I would like to see him keep growing and doing new things, yeah. and I don't want to see it become sort of a like, I'm going to keep doing versions of the thing I did before, because I think like a talented filmmaker should get to grow and expand and do new stuff, and I like I, I did feel like he was growing with those films, and I want to see that continue and <laughs> Suicide Squad is so exactly like the way he already was that it's like, well, I'll be interested Like, but you know, I want it to be great that, no, that's a fair point. I mean, fortunately, in other capacities, he has movies like Brightburn coming out mm-hmm. that, that show that he could do some different things, at least. But <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes, as much as I don't want to see a filmmaker, you know, copy and paste what they did before, I feel like sometimes when you box yourself into playing with a similar group of characters in a similar style film with a similar budget, that almost makes it an even bigger challenge for you to break out. And yeah. that's when you find those, those little hidden gems that you might not have been encouraged to find before. So I'm hoping that he goes down that path with this. I want and, to be like Soderbergh and heist films, how he always reinvents the heist film in a certain way. Like the oceans feel different, but the same. And like Logan Lucky, I yeah. wanted to. I would love if ensemble hijink of misfits is James Gunn's little Soderbergh. And universe. that seems like it very much is like a thing that emerges from his work as like that's that keep lean into that. You well, know, there's the opportunity to put some meta humor now into this, given <laughs> the whole situation and with James Gunn and how far he goes with uh, some of his films. I wouldn't be surprised to be did. It. If we get The Man of Steel also that summer, I'll be a happy boy. Oh I'm just God. saying, The Man of Steel 2 would be very lovely. I'm just I just feel like there's... <laughs> and all the sequels are missing. There's one that's just shining a light in me that Henry Cavill is not being picky. He didn't say he wanted director first looks. He didn't... He's saying let us make a Man of Steel movie and I'm saying it's... Right, this be, is just breaking, just right? Breaking. That he's sort of on board but and whatever. not d- making particular demands which I guess must have been a different rumor that he was. I don't know. I think they're just trying to throw uh, some fault somewhere but Man of Steel needs to happen. I'm just, it, it's on my mind. It's so what you got to do is friendship chemistry test Henry Cavill with all these Batmans we're talking about. And when you find the pair that you just want to watch forever, don't put them in the movies together right away, but know that you have your new world's finest. I Sold. <laughs> all in. So that's what you do. Uh, and in the meantime, while we wait for all of that to cook, this weekend was the big game. Congratulations, Koi. I mean, as a Pats fan, that was the slowest game ever, but we did win. So that's something. <laughs> um, but what? More importantly for us on the show, no offense to people who love football, which is totally fine, uh, we got some trailers. We got some make every second count trailers because they were real short. Uh, But we got friggin' new, exciting, heartbreaking, wonderful stuff from Avengers Endgame. We got a new look at Alita, and we got 
a new Captain Marvel trailer. Uh, which of these jumped out to you all, and what was your takeaway from this very sort of minimal level of comic book involvement in the Super Bowl? Of the ones you listed, I would say Endgame and Captain Marvel definitely jumped out to me the most. I mean, they are two of my most highly anticipated movies of the year, but when you look at those two TV spots compared to many of the others, you're talking about how little runtime they have to work with. Those are the two that really maximized what a Super Bowl commercial is. With Endgame, it's seeing new footage that we haven't seen before for a movie that we're all dying to know how they resolve everything that happened in Infinity War. So that's one thing. And I think some of the visuals were just beautiful and striking. And even though it only lasted 30 seconds, I'm walking away with certain visuals ingrained in my mind, which I think is a very good thing. But in particular, the Captain Marvel one, what a smart, smart format. You have 30 seconds to work with. You repeat higher, further, faster, over and over with a build with a really like heart pounding score in the back you just leave people watching a big game with all the energy in the world and getting super pumped for that release. Uh, we got all three of those. I, I tend to agree. They, they, I, I was happy with these trailers. The Alita one, like, it left me sort of where I was before. Like, oh, this looks interesting. I don't know what it's going to be yet. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I included it because it's a comic book movie. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> the End Game trailer was perfect because I don't want to know anything. Please don't tell me anything. But we do. We got just a little. We got. They're dealing with the aftermath. And we got, like, in both both of the 30-second Disney spots, went with this technique of, like, we're going to put a line in your head. Mm-hmm. One is, some people move on, we don't. Which is a hell of a mission statement for this position that they're in. And Captain Marvel, which is, is stuck with sort of a challenging uh, position of being, like, here's a hero you might not be familiar with. And part of the story is that she's not sure who we are, but we need to sell you on it. So getting that tagline to be like, look, here's the essence. Here's the thing. She is going to figure this out about herself. You're going to know it going in. Here's why we're getting excited. That tease of her with Maria Rambo like, was, gave me life, as they say. Uh, I, so I, I loved that. And of course, that tagline is incredibly important to me. And like getting that across with your using every second of your 30 seconds, I was happy. Both of these trailers of the two. I'm going to say all three. I liked all three. I'm excited for Alita, but I can't not talk about Endgame first. Endgame <laughs> It, the 30 seconds was iconic. The imagery stuck with me. It had one line of dialogue that resonated with me so much. It showed the time jump. It showed where these heroes are, but it also gave away nothing. That trailer was exactly what I want out of the Endgame trailers to be all of them. I want to know nothing more than when I saw it, except for that I feel more feelings. I don't <laughs> want to have anything except more feelings. I want no more knowledge, and I really think that they're doing a great job showing us how the tone can be in a superhero film. We've not had a fully sorrowful superhero film. We've not had a movie that's about mourning. We haven't had this dark, desolate, broken world. And this James movie, Bond, Quantum of Solace. <laughs> very close to superheroes. That's totally that. But this, this movie feels like that broken tone. And comics are often dark and sorrowful. And this looks like a different take. And I'm really excited that they're leaning into that, not away from it. This trailer could have been 25 seconds and a joke button. There was no joke button. Mm-hmm. And then I really liked that it was that the dichotomy of that with Captain Marvel, where it was all action. Like, this Captain Marvel trailer was what most football games are, and this Endgame trailer was what this football game was. <laughs> and I really liked that that is what they represent as the two corners of this universe this year. So it was a lot of
lot of fun. Some people move the ball. We don't. We don't. <laughs> we acknowledge the ball. We play a lot of defense over and over and over again. But it was really interesting. And high, higher, further, faster being repeated. Just that moment between the two of them shows so much, and it was five seconds. What they accomplished in 30 seconds in these two trailers was, was landmark. So I, I really liked them both. I wanted a Joker trailer, though, and I didn't get it. Uh, so we I'm didn't bummed. get Shazam. We yeah. didn't get a tease of Joker. I thought Shazam was a sure thing. Yeah. I, I was really betting big on them airing something for that, especially with the release date coming up so, so soon. But I don't know. I guess it's a matter of like assessing your marketing budget, considering because these the prices for these Super Bowl ads are astronomical. They spent, and like, for two spots, they would have spent, what, $10.5 million? And I mean, look at this conversation we're having right now. I'm not saying that they couldn't change the tone of the conversation if they had dropped an amazing Shazam uh, TV spot during the game. But, you know, we're busy talking so much about the Marvel properties right now. It might be in their best interest to carve out something else at another time and basically have the entire spotlight for themselves. Because the truth of the matter is there were tons of movie and TV trailers, plus all these commercials that everyone's buzzing about. It is very, very difficult to break through all that noise and kind of land at the top. But you do want, like, especially Especially for Shazam, you, you're going to need, a, kind of like with the Captain Marvel, they're both Captain Marvel, it's a thing. Um, but with this Captain Marvel scenario, you need to educate people about this character to mm-hmm. a certain extent and get them excited. And having all those family eyeballs to be like, oh, that one looks funny. We could see that. Like, everyone's trapped in a room together watching football. Like, this is a good opportunity, but maybe not worth $5.5 million. I was trapped on a plane not watching <laughs> any football because there were no TVs. They weren't working. Oh, that's Aww. sad. Isn't that Did you yeah. have a team in this... Not really. Everyone here knows that I got super into fantasy, and I think the Saints became my team through fantasy football. But between the Rams and the Patriots, I had to be rooting for the Rams simply because it's like, I'm in L.A. (laughs) It was very hard for me to be like, I've been in here nine years, so nine years of L.A. plus being a Patriots fan for life. That was a very tricky game, but I'm still happy with how it landed. So speaking of, I'm just going to go with the segue of things that happen in Los Angeles. Someone here got to go to the Captain Marvel set and kept it secret for months. <laughs> we honestly had no idea. Set visits are so difficult. It's, <laughs> I mean, it really is a challenge because you often do these set visits months, if not a year or more, before you're actually allowed to talk about it, before the movie is actually hitting theater. So you walk into these things just completely blind, knowing absolutely nothing except for little beats, of the, beats in the source material that you're trying to string together mm-hmm. to fit the larger MCU. So it's just weird thinking back to where my head was then and mm. then where my head was when I was writing up all of this information when I had already seen certain pieces of footage that I hadn't seen back then. <laughs> so it, it's a truly mind-bending experience, but I just feel so grateful to have been there. I, I know uh, it's not important to some people out there, but as a lady who loves superheroes, this this movie means the freaking world to me yeah, and I'm just yeah. I'm so excited that that Marvel is finally making an MCU movie with a female lead headlining Brie Larson of all people and that was a question that came up repeatedly. What does it mean to be part of this on set? And Samuel L. Jackson's answer in particular, just in terms of uh, how his experience with his family, mm-hmm. how they were treated, especially, I believe, his wife is in the industry, just what it means for them to be able to have this movie, too, it really, really moved me. And you brought up Lashana Lynch before. <gasps> what yeah. a delight. She is just a freaking ray of sunshine. Getting to talk to her just was 
really one of the highlights of the entire visit. That interview is the only one we haven't run in full, and you might be able to keep an eye out for that one soon. Yes, excellent. I loved that Samuel L. Jackson answer to your question, because he gave you, like, a joke answer, and then he laid out this beautiful, eloquent statement <laughs> on, like, marginalization, and it was wonderful. So the behind the scenes of that was someone encouraged us. They're like, if, if Sam, you know, makes a joke out of something, like, don't let up. Keep pushing. And I was surprised. I don't know where the nerve came from, but he <laughs> did. He gave the jokey answer. And then I'm like, well, it means a lot to me. And then he, he, he really, I think that answer was of all the interviews we did. And we had a lot of great interviews on that set. But that answer was the one that I want to print out and hang on my fridge for the rest of my life. That was a beautiful. You can read all of this on Collider. Yes. Uh, you, you did a roundup of 20. If you're, if you're spoiler dodging, like use caution because it's one of those, there are things that are apparent about the movie. What mm-hmm. the threat is, what the conflict is, what connections people might have. Um, and there are a lot of hints that came out out of that there's a lot of little details i think one of the ones that piqued my interest most and i guess again if you are wary of light spoilers at all you might want to not listen to this but i mean it is something that jude law flat out said in his interview which again connects the dots between all the you know all the names that have been swirling around regarding the character that he's playing but mm-hmm. i love the idea of the Cree supreme intelligence that yes. that just the second that came up that immediately caught my attention also because then obviously I did my, my research and I realized that if he is playing Jan Rog, there's the whole thing with Ronin and them trying to overthrow the Supreme Intelligence, but more so than that specific plot, it's the idea of what the Supreme Intelligence could mean to Kree, and Kree as a whole, Kree as an individual, and how that can color the character, and based on what Jude Law said, that's going to be a major through line for his character, is his relationship with one, Carol Danvers, who, you know, source material also shows that he was present when she first got her powers, but also his relationship with the Kree uh, Supreme Intelligence and how that's going to affect where we see him beginning and end of the film. It is the, this mystery of what they're doing with his character has been interesting to me uh, specifically because I remember when they first were talking about casting him, like at some point the Dr. Walter Lawson name floated around and we were like, okay, so he's the human version, he's Marvel, he's Jan Rog, like what, what are we doing with him? And it's like, it's not, to me, it's not a spoiler to say Supreme Intelligence because that just means they know who the Kree are. Mm-hmm. Good job, Marvel. <laughs> like, you, you read you, a book. You read your stuff. And I loved a lot of what the producer you were talking to on set yeah, said Jonathan about, like, Schwartz. yeah, Jonathan Schwartz was, was calling back to a bunch of specific source material. They're not doing any one story, but they're drawing on a bunch. You want to read the Kree Scroll War. Mm-hmm. You want to read the Kelly Sudakon and Captain Marvel. Like, they can point you at sources, but it's still a surprise how their movies go. And just with the Kree Scroll War and everything, it, it is fascinating the timeline for all these MCU movies that they're taking the opportunity to go back in time to the 90s, not just to serve Captain Marvel as an individual, but the secret invasion just <laughs> it has to be a thing there. And I know that when we brought it up on set, he's like, I don't want you all to go into this movie and be looking around like, who's a scroll? Who's a scroll? But there is no doubt in my mind after listening to all of them and having a more clear understanding of exactly what it means to be a scroll and what they're capable of that further down the line they are going to pocket this idea and 
maybe a certain hero that we think we're super familiar with is going to reveal themselves to be a scroll. And I think that is a real game-changing thing to add so far into the MCU, but going back in time and then having it affect the current films in a way that totally makes sense. It is fascinating because he said essentially, like, we are not full out doing that, which they can't because you can't disrupt an established order of superheroes if you don't have an established order of superheroes. But what he said is, we're planting seeds. And Corey, what are your thoughts? Because I'm very excited and I've been talking for the last 10 minutes. 21 movies in, adding <laughs> Secret Invasion out of a 22 known movie run is inspired because that gives you the next 30 movies, that plant. It gives you that seed, a literal green seed. I'm so excited to see people freak out like I did when I was reading the comics. When I was reading Secret Invasion, and all oh of a sudden God. like the chin came out, and you're like, what? I can't wait to have like moms to, to freak out. Like, what's a Kree? What's a scroll to have that conversation? Like, when I told you when my mama called me and asked who Thanos was, changed my life. Yeah. That's gonna happen with scrolls. There's gonna be moments when grandparents call their grandkids and talk about scrolls with them, and that is so beautiful and magic. And I also, I forgot to mention, I want to thank the Endgame trailer for erasing parts of uh, like, characters were omitted in that trailer. So you're, mm. you're on board for the theory that they've... Uh, oh, 100%. Like, the, the, you don't frame something that weird. Like, there's four, there's four actors and there's like a giant hole. I also think that's something that the, the Captain Marvel movies are doing really well, where they're omitting certain things that seem like, we're going to rewatch those trailers and things are going to be obvious. Oh, yeah. So I think that, that something that Endgame and Captain Marvel are doing really well is their misleading intelligence. They're showing us just over here, and I think the Florkin is going to blow people's minds. I can't, wait for, <laughs> I can't wait for Goose to change the game. When I heard about a cat in this movie on that set you can go through all the transcripts anytime there because the way the set visits work is it's a whole group of journalists so they're not all my questions it's the group but anytime you hear or you read a question about the cat that's amazing <laughs> but also I wish so badly that I could share the full audio particularly of the Ben Mendelsohn interview because he obviously couldn't say really anything about his character whatsoever right. except that he's the leader of the scrolls but time and time again he kept saying like yeah, we'd be scrolling. It was almost like it was almost like he was in character the entire time, and he was he was talking like, yeah, you know, the, the Cree they suck, and you know, us scrolls we'd be scrolling. And I just wish that I could share that because it's not the same when you write it out or when I repeat it for that matter. That's beautiful though. Uh, and we'd be scrolling on to some minor mutations. I had to. I had to. It's that was too much fun. You to enjoy that. that. Aside. That's real good. That's strong. We got some great other stuff to drop this week. Uh, the Avengers Endgame runtime is still at three hours, and we are on test screening number four for this movie, which is shaping up to be a beautiful marathon. Disney is staying right in that Deadpool business, and that is an R-rated business, and we're going to talk about how important that is, and I am I'm ready to talk about it. And we have some contrasting X updates this week. First, we got a very mysterious tweet, for, to me at least, from Bendis saying he's still working on his 143 script, and the next day, Lauren Schuler Donner, uh, the longtime producer of the X-Men movie, said everything is on hold. In the world of things moving right along and not being on hold, all the CW superhero shows have been renewed and a big welcome to Batwoman. Lots of CW stuff coming at you next year. And also Katie Keene. He dropped that. Like, I, I, that wanted, you to have that. I wanted you to have Katie Keene. comic book television. I can't. I can't with this new era. <laughs> um, but the new era also contains a full season of the Why the Last Man adaptation. So our girl Lashana Lynch, who I keep telling y'all, um, keep memorize the name. Uh, she is one of the stars of Why, which is coming to FX. 
Legion Season 3 is the last season of Legion, but it's on purpose. They plan to end it here the whole time, and I think it's a good thing. Go out on top. Go out while you're strong. Break bad. <laughs> we are also getting... A Super Pets movie. This was secretly the most exciting of the DC announcements to me. They are making a Super Pets movie. I love those books. I love these characters. I love everything about this. That would have been the major story of the week any other week. We, we really want to talk about that a lot. <laughs> uh, the Invincible voice cast sounds incredible. This cast sounds amazing. I, I love everyone in every role. It's yes. It's right. Oh, my God. There were some rumors that we might be getting a Batman Beyond animated feature. They have been shot down. So, unfortunately, that is not currently in the offing, but you never no, the character's not going anywhere. Into the Spider-Verse went seven for seven at the Annie Awards. Seven for seven. Clean sweep. Everything it deserves. It deserves Best Picture, too, but it's not going to get that. Best Animated, who knows, but seven for seven. And last week saw a really special event that I want to hear from from our man Koi. It was Excelsior, a celebration of the life of Stan Lee. Only it had more adjectives in the title. Um, as he deserves. He's was held last uh, Wednesday night in Hollywood. Okay, which of these minors jump out at y'all? Perry. I, you already know my answer. You kind of teased it ever since. Because I think Jeff Snyder for Collider broke the Super Pets news. And I mean, the second you combine pets with superhero movies, I am immediately sold. And of course, then I'm going down like the, the Google, Google black hole and I'm looking up all the information. That sounds like the ideal movie for me right now. But other animated properties, it's the, the what was it, Batman Beyond mm. That might be not happening, but it is only a matter of time because of what you just said about Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse is crushing it. Spider-Verse, I will say right now, is a lock for best animated feature. I think it is going to run away with that award. The 7 for 7 is a sure sign of it. And it's also a sure sign that every other studio out there is going to want to tap into the same thing. Hopefully not a rinse, wash, repeat, but taking a cue from Spider-Verse and all of the creative and animation ingenuity and doing their own things and not just making animated movies that, you know, a hardcore fancy, but wide releases that can continue to change the game for animation and also just superhero movies overall. So fingers crossed projects like that get a little steam back in them soon. Uh, speaking of superhero animation, uh, that voice cast for Invincible, Ooh. the long simmering adaptation of Robert Kirkman's indie superhero book. Mm -hmm. So it's an image book. It's Robert Kirkman, who you know from Walking Dead, but who did a ton of superhero work and Marvel work, who did Marvel Zombies. Uh, he created his own, with Ryan Otley and Corey Walker, I want to say, uh, superhero universe that ran for like f almost 15 years. They wrapped up the story recently. There's separately a movie in development, but in the meantime, we've got this eight-episode, hour-long, I think Amazon? Uh, Amazon animated series, and Steven Yun and Mark Hamill, and this incredibly deep, amazing voice cast they just announced. Like, what? Sandra Oh! I love that they're doing a simultaneous animated and live action because it's everyone's happy. And I love that Invincible has so much subject matter you can do that. And I really like that they're not going light on either one. I was afraid when they said, yeah, we'll do both. Then the voice cast come out and I wouldn't know anyone's name. This is everyone. So they're clearly not doing that. They're doubling down on both. So I think Invincible, if you haven't read it, it's very important for comic culture. And I think that doubling down is the only move to tell that story well. And I, I, it's going to be Great. Weird Easter egg about uh, Invincible. Those trades, it took me literally years to notice that the first, like, 16 trades are all named after sitcoms. It's like, Invincible, Family Matters. 
Invincible, different strokes. Like, I don't remember exactly the names, but it took me so long it to catch on. It took until this moment for me to find <laughs> that out. This just happened live. That's insane. That's amazing. It's not a, like, it's it's a serious superhero epic, but, like, clearly they're having a lot of fun or had a lot of fun on that book as I, well. I respect that. I like that. Go uh, look that up. It's ridiculous. So, I want to talk about Excelsior. Yeah, how that, about that? That night was so nerdy and so good and so important. I, at one point, they were playing bagpipes while honoring veterans while a series of cosplayers were lining up to take photos while Marv Wolfman and George Perez and Kevin Smith and all these people were speaking and it was so much peak Stan Lee and it felt so right to have so many layers because the man was so many layered so multifaceted to see how many different types of people he impacted before your eyes was amazing and then Eric Garcetti gave him the key to the city our mayor Mm -hmm. and I found out the mayor our mayor is like the nerdiest he was referencing (laughs) so many things on like comic book like he's a deep cut nerd and it was amazing to see a sweaty in a position of power that made me very happy so (laughs) Garcetti's a nerd he's always gonna get my vote very proud of that Uh, that was really cool and then uh, it's just the amount of people that Stan touched really showed on the carpet. Like, at one point, Flava Flav and Wesley Snipes were hugging and yelling, and they were talking about comics and Stan, and then uh, Corey Feldman walked up, and the entire 80s happened right in front of me, and everyone was just only talking about Stan Lee. And it was one of those rare carpets where it wasn't people pitching their next thing or talking about, like, Stan, comma, what I'm up to. Everything was about Stan. Everything was a celebration. It wasn't sad, but it was respectful. It wasn't mournful, but it was a celebration. It was an exclamation point of a night and that's Stan like the whole night was a big exclamation point and it felt like Stan was there so it was this really cool event to be at I went to the uh, the event two years ago that Powell threw with Legion M which was celebrating Stan while he was alive and I was so impressed that for three plus hours Stan kept up or had more energy than everyone on that stage people would it was a, a rotating door of the biggest entertainers in comics and Stan had more energy than them for three hours they'd have like 20 minute segments and the guy was just larger than life and it was crazy and John introduced me to him I hadn't met Stan yet. So John brought me over and made sure I met Stan. I had a whole moment where I got to talk to Stan Lee. I got to thwip and Excelsior. It was crazy. But this event, years later, after having lost John and Stan, still felt like a celebration. It was just honoring the amount that he had done. And it was this really cool thing where I'd never been to a funeral that actually felt like a celebration. There's always that, like, we're supposed to be happy. Everyone's in black, though. What's going on? This wasn't. So I, I Legion M did a great job. I think everyone there really appreciated the impact Stan had. And everyone's stories were great. And Lawrence Fishburne delivered poetry. So I got to, like... To uh, hear the, 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 that sonorous, beautiful voice delivering Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, which was Stanley's favorite poem, in its entirety, 20 minutes of poetry, where everyone in the room was dead silent and you just felt the power of Stanley, you felt this connection, you felt everything through Lawrence Fishburne. It was such a moment for literature, for people, for comic books, for culture, and, and it was really nice. It was, it was great. It was a great night. And it was the Chinese. It was great. That's really, really beautiful. I'm so glad that that happened. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and there was a moment where Clark Gregg was sitting next to Lawrence Fishburne and Mark Hamill, and he was just like, I'm a big sci-fi fan, so this is really hard for me right now. And you can just <laughs> see Clark Gregg reacting to them, how a lot of people react to Clark Gregg at Comic-Cons. And that, to me, was this beautiful circle of life, like this Lion King moment of, ah, oh, we're all nerds that have people that were bigger fanboys than. And it was just, it was really cool. And me and Dorian, just, we had a great time, and it was, it was a special night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and White Castle, we appreciate you. You came around with burgers while we were starving in line, and you're the greatest. Thank you, White Castle. Speaking of Dorian, he and I got to go on a bit of an adventure the other day uh, and go talk to the co-showrunners of that show that you know we are all borderline obsessed with. Yes. Marvel's Runaways.
We are very excited to have the co-showrunners of Marvel's Runaways, or rather excited to join them, Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage. Thank you so much for talking to us. Oh, thank thank you. you for talking to us. <laughs> How are you doing today? We are great, and we're happy to uh, talk about Runaways. Very excited. Excellent. Uh, I wanted to start with the big stuff. Uh, I'm a massive longtime Runaways fan, so general rejoicing that y'all have made this show and made it so amazing. Oh. Um, Big question, why Runaways? What about this material and these characters spoke to you all in the first place? It was a book that I read uh, like 15, 16 years ago when it first came out and immediately fell in love with Brian's writing, Mm -hmm. uh, Brian and Adrian's work on the book, but Brian's, the voices of the characters, how contemporary it felt. Obviously, it has one of the great all-time, one of the best premises of of comic book uh, history or recent comic book history. So anyway, I'd read it. I'd always loved it. It was never available. Uh, eventually, you heard it was available years and years and years later. Uh, and so when we were potentially going to meet on it, I said to Stephanie, please read this. Uh, I think you're going to like it. And if you do, I think it's something that's really worth pursuing. It's a really special property. And I'll let her speak for herself. But she read it. And spoiler alert, she also loved it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a natural-born comic book person. But I remember when Josh first read it and how much he liked it and talked about it. And then when he said, like, you should read this, we should think about doing it, I immediately, I love the strong female characters. I love the diversity. I love... Brian just has so much heart and humor. I love that it was set in Los Angeles. The voice was really strong. It just felt like something we could jump into, and it would be so fun to bring to life. Now that we are, we season two is out on Hulu. Everyone can yes. watch it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that you have an established universe, when you came back for season two, what was different? Was it tougher living up to the expectations or easier because you had all that world building done? Yeah, no, we were super excited to dive into season two and know that obviously the kids were going to be on the run. We had pulled them away from their parents. Hopefully we had taken the time in season one to make you care uh, about all of these kids, but also about their parents and understand the complexity of those relationships. That It's not that easy just to run away from home, that even if you suspect your parents of doing something terrible or you believe you've witnessed them doing something terrible, they're still your parents, and there's still an emotional cost to that. So we really wanted to mine all of that. And then this season, season two, it was war. They were on the run. We had the hostel, Pride versus the Runaways. We were very, very excited to uh, to get started. Yeah, the idea in season one was to be a little bit more patient and to spend more time with the parents and really set up these dynamics and these families so that when they went for it, everybody understood who everyone was, hopefully very invested, and you could just go along for the ride and have a great time. I know you had some changes behind the scenes. You had a lot of new writers joining you for season two. What changed or surprised you in how that went? Uh, I think it's been uh, consistently delightful over both seasons how many good writers there are out there. Uh, We were fortunate enough that Quentin Peoples had stayed with us from season one uh, into season two, and then we did have a whole new a whole new staff this year and everybody brought a really distinct point of view everybody you know it's different when you're starting from nothing where versus everyone has a season to watch and react and respond to we've gotten to know the actors um and season two it really was a different show so it actually kind of made sense to do it with a bunch of different people and we're also very fortunate that brian k vaughn joined us in the room at the beginning of both seasons so we had his Um, Not just his blessing, but also his great pitches in the room and his kind of like additive uh, feedback as we were figuring out what those long arc stories were going to be. Official confirmation, is Coach Alfona named for Adrian Alfona? Yes, of course. Come on, (laughs) you couldn't have it any other way. He also contributed. uh, We have this prop upstairs. We can shoot it later if you want as an insert. But he, Adrian, drew for us in the very beginning of the pilot. There's a kid on a bus 
the bus that Destiny is on, where she will be kidnapped soon by the church. Uh, and he is reading Journey to the Center of the Earth. And Adrian did a special cover just for us. Uh, and it's the very first shot of the show. I did not catch that. I'm very excited. And it was obviously the kids were going to be journeying Journey to the center of the earth at some yeah. point in season two. So we thought it was a nice little Easter egg. And, yeah. yeah. So how did you shape the runaways or the pride or the relationships differently in season two, having gotten to know the actors? Well, one thing that we found out is that all the actors that play the Minorus are awesome at martial arts. So we had to make sure that we built in some family fights for them. Um, Renzi can floss. We discovered that. So that was fun playing to some of their strengths. Um, the actors did contribute in some ways to their storylines. Like, for example, um, Ariella was very interested in playing a story where Gert's anxiety became a part of um, the storytelling. And, you know, we really wanted to honor that and. Um, thought you know long and hard about how to do that story, and we think she did a beautiful job mm-hmm. of um, bringing that to life. Uh, certainly, some of the dynamics of the actors, um, like Kevin and Bridget, who play Stacy and Dale, their sort of comic banter. Once we kind of figured out what that was all about, was a very fun thing to write to. It was just sort of everyone was bringing. Um, different things to their performances. Uh, the evolution of Jonah, I think that um, it was really fun having Julian on the show, and we especially liked one of the last scenes um, that he was even in, uh, which was much more, a, <laughs> much more of a much more of a parenting scene um, where he was coming to grips with the fact that Carolina had lied to him and he didn't think she would do that because they had a special connection um, that was really showing a different side of his character and that that was fun, a fun color to bring out. Yeah, I mean, our favorite scenes are just when the kids are in the hostel and it's a different permutate, you know, different connection of kids. You're seeing Molly and Chase in a scene together or, um, you know, Alex and Carolina bouncing off of each other. Just getting those different, and obviously our, our most favorite scenes are when all the kids are kind of in a scene together, playing off of each other and just the chemistry that they had that they all had from day one. Uh, and obviously being able to go further with some of our relationships. So now Gert and Chase are going to be living under the same roof and potentially in the same room. And Dinoro, you know, the Carolina and Nico relationship was something that we were really excited to to explore, also knowing what was potentially coming at the back half of the season with another character from the comic making an appearance. So I, I have to follow up on that one. What are the challenges of adapting something like Runaways, especially with, and I hope you've seen season two, but with certain characters who show up in season two, like Topher and like Zavin, you have done all your own world building for the show, um, but you're finding ways to work them in. What, what was the freedom or what were the challenges? How do you approach it? Uh, there are certain challenges, like, right out the gate. Like, uh, you know, Zavin is a scroll in the comics, and that is obviously occupied territory on the future side. So there's, like, many meetings where, where all of a sudden it's been decided that she could be a Zartan. And so there was many conferences about that, and we ran with that. So there are certain limitations that uh, Marvel has for, you know, in terms of things that are already in use or uh, things they want to create separately. Obviously, our show isn't really a vampire show. So if Topher was going to come onto the show, what's our version Mm -hmm. of a vampire? And how do we make that a Molly story and that she's relating to this guy and they share the same powers? But from the outside, he is exhibiting a lot of the same qualities as, you know, Topher did uh, in the book. So how do we just kind of take those characters and make them work within the the reality of our show. And I'm curious, what would you be most excited to be bringing us if we get a season three? 
We left things in a pretty heightened, cliffhangery place. So we definitely have some ideas of what um, what we'd like to see when we come back. Um, people, characters that are in jeopardy, possibly in uh, tubes in someone's basement and um, other characters that may be sharing a body with uh, some other uh, creature. Where's the other alien? Yeah, there's an alien that's missing that needs to be tracked down. Uh, There's a baby inside Leslie that needs to get born. Um, And there's still more. There could be glowing. And there's still more secrets to come out about, you know, kids and parents and who did what and lots of good stuff. There's also uh, another major character from the books that we're yeah, very excited to um, introduce. That is all I will say on the matter. What was different about upping the stakes on the action and effects this year? Any big challenges that came with that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, that is definitely, we learned a lot in season one and, uh, and you know, worked really hard uh, at that this season. Um, and we knew the midpoint of season two was going to be the biggest episode, not only that the Runaways had ever done, but that we had ever done. Uh, we were going to shoot it over six straight nights downtown. There was going to be a ship that was coming out of the, a hole in the ground that was going to cause an earthquake and light beings. And we were like, what have we signed up for? Um, <laughs> a lot easier to type it than yeah. it is to execute it. To execute it. So, um, but it was really important that as our kids were getting better at harnessing and understanding their powers and learning how to work together, that the show reflect that, that the fight scenes reflect that, that the ambition of the show match the sort of burgeoning powers of our characters. Um, and I think we did some pretty cool pretty cool stuff. And as Steph said, that Minoru fight scene at the end of the season, I mean, Lyrica is they're all doing a lot, you know, most of their most of their stuff. I think Lyrica's doing all of it. Wow. And she walked away with a lot of bumps and bruises, but she's just that committed. Um, well, thank you so much for chatting with us. Our pleasure. Uh, our pleasure. Uh, we are enjoying the heck out of Marvel's Runaways. We are eagerly hoping that we get to find out what comes next. Thank you. That's our Marvel sniper face. It's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. Duck. Uh, and we'll go back to the studio where I will tell you who I'm hoping is that character we're going to meet next time if we get to keep going. Ooh. Victor Mancha, right? It's got to be. It's got to be Victor Mancha. I, I, yeah. I, like, I didn't want to say it in the studio with them, but, like, come on. He's coming. Which means Ultron. I don't, Which is they crazy. They probably can't say that. But, uh, they said Black Panther this season. They said Wakanda. They said the mountains of Wakanda. They, maybe totally they could say Ultron. Uh, so that was a really great time. Thank you so much to Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage, who were wonderful to talk to. Uh, we are all really hoping that there is a season three that we will get to start setting our calendars for. <laughs> but in the meantime, we've got some comics to talk about. This week's poll list is number one. Cecil Castellucci is a writer I really, really love, and we've got a really exciting new DC book, Female Furies, that's the actual name from Kirby, for the Big Barda-led team of baddies. Number one this week. Then we've got Daredevil number one. Daredevil died, y'all. Kinda. (laughs) And he's back. Kinda. Daredevil number one. (laughs) We've got Batman 64. This is interesting. It is the kickoff to the four-part Batman Flash crossover. So this is just one to put on your radar. Josh Williamson is writing this one, who's been writing Flash for some time, but here's where that starts. Uncanny X-Men number 11 after a 10-issue mega arc. This is a double-sized kickoff to a new arc issue. Never have had to read an X-Men before. Pick this one up. (laughs) And you'll be clutching at the straws of something that you don't recognize if you've never read it, but you'll get on board. Uh, Die number three comes out this week from Karen Gillan and Stephanie Hans. Y'all know I am all about this goth D&D Jumanji book. Uh, (laughs) 
Because that exists. What is this? I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, it's called Die. It is about a group of sort of messed up adults who all played a role-playing game together in the early 90s, and some shit went down, and somebody didn't come back. And uh, now they're getting puck- sucked back into that world, and I'm assuming nothing heartbreaking will happen. Hmm. I'm Comics. in. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's in. a strong pitch. Beautifully painted. That by was Stephanie a really Huff. good pitch. <laughs> <laughs> now, Uncanny X Men Eleven takes place after Uncanny X Men Annual Number One. Trust me, it makes sense when you read comics. But in Uncanny X Men Annual Number One, Cyclops came back with dignity. Cyclops is often written very poorly. Poor Cyclops is written like he is in a Brian Singer movie, and that usually leads to not so great storylines. But finally, with Annual Number One, we get a real Cyclops. He's the leader of the Blue Team. He's a very important character. I'm hoping. Uncanny X-Men number 11 goes from that point on and we finally get a classic X-Men team. I think it's really important to the mythos to have Cyclops be strong, so I'm excited for this book. Um, and it is massively oversized, so you will get a, a ton of pages for your for your buck there. Um, I'm really excited for Female Furies. Big Barda and the, the Apocalypse New Gen- Genesis uh, mythology is so much fun. We've had a lot of great takes on it. We just had Tom King's Mr. Miracle. Um, and this is uh, just a, another like wonderful piece of that universe that we know somewhere in the back Ava DuVernay is working on her new gods, um, and we have a new adventure with Big Barda and the Female Furies. Um. And Daredevil number one, our last poll, is going to be after Man Without Fear's little miniseries. It is a completely new take on Daredevil. It is a man with fear. So if you've never read Daredevil and you're a fan of the show, which we should bring back, that is how you jump on there. And Chip Zdarsky and Mark Cicchetto are working yes, on that. Yes, a great team. Chip um, Zdarsky's brilliant. Which, is there anything that jumps out at you from those? I have already Googled. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I will probably read that. That sounds like it's right up my alley. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, yep. We're, we're we, we will have to talk when I catch up. Book club now. Okay. The die is cast. <laughs> and we have just enough time, I think, for our sweaty question of the week. This comes to us from Emil Johansson, uh, and it is at Collider Heroes. Um, could the X-Men themes fit into the MCU, like when they chased the Hulk, or when they signed some registration-type act in Civil War? Would that work with X-Men? I think uh, protecting a world that hates and fears them and some sort of very subtle nod towards racism and maybe, you know, homophobia could fit in 2019, being that we live in the world we do. So I almost feel like the MCU could reflect that, like they have in the past, about accepting others and loving your neighbor and being a better person. Yikes, I kind of don't want to gild that lily. Um, uh, in, well yeah. I just think that perhaps life reflects art beautifully with the X-Men, and they belong in the MCU now more than ever. It, that's beautifully said. Uh, the original argument of the, what went with the X-Men when they created them, obviously, was that, like, yeah, you can say, why don't people, why aren't people mad at Iron Man the same way that they are confused or scared of the X-Men? And, and Lee and Kirby used to just be like, uh, you know, as if it doesn't take a stretch of the imagination to conjure up people being afraid of people who are different. And we know that those themes fit in because they've done a lot of them with the Inhumans on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But essentially, I I thought it was interesting that, Emil, that you asked this, like, does it work? Because unfortunately, I think it's always going to work. It's hopefully, as the world evolves, different things will come into focus, but absolutely it can. What a major missed opportunity if they don't do this. <laughs> especially especially right now, of all times. The whole Disney-Fox merger thing couldn't have happened at a better time for the MCU. Right after Endgame, when you have this opportunity to, you know, maintain what you've created for so many years, but infuse it with something new. Especially something that sparks a real conversation that you could see on the screen and then take home with you. So I hope that they embrace all 
all of this stuff. If X-Men are the new team and it's a team of misfits and people that don't feel accepted, I would love that because I love the Avengers. I love all of that. But Chris Evans, real handsome. Like Downey <laughs> Jr., real handsome. Ruffalo, science handsome. I would like a team of people that are all, you know, they come together. Grant Morrison's beak. Bring him on. Yeah, I want people that feel like they're left out and I want people to identify with people that look like them. And I also want people that are the everyday person have someone to identify with. And I think the X-Men have always represented that to like the nth degree. And if this becomes our new Avengers, Jeff Schneider said it yesterday, like this may be the new Avengers. And mm-hmm. I love that concept. I want the X-Men to be the flagship for the comics and the movies. And I would really like that if they do that by leaning into the things that make this country amazing. And that is separating the, 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 just pretty people and including everyone. I think that having the world unite under something is what the world needs right now. And I think the X-Men do that. I want exactly what you just described. So uh, from our lips to Disney's ears, uh, Kevin Feige, I know you understand these characters, so you're probably already working on this. Thank you in advance. Uh, This has been our Heroes episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Thank you so much for having me. You two are wonderful. (laughs) I love just the the good vibes and the genuine love for all this stuff that just, like, radiates off the two of you. So thank you guys for having me. Thank you so much for being here, and we'll see you next week. And until then, stay sweaty. sweaty. Hello, Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but I said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at negative to positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Babu, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's, that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.